Okay. Um, so do you have... Now, do you want me to just start asking questions? Yeah, or I do think you so. have the idea of things you wanted to discuss? No, I think let's keep this kind of organic and authentic and okay. just go for it and then see what uh, what happens. All right. Should I come closer to you? I feel like I'm 14 years away. Totally up to you. If, if you can scoot your seat up just a little closer and then make sure you're right on film. Let's put those up. All right, how's that Mac sound? I think it sounds pretty good. good. How about that? How about that? Uh, I think so. it sounds pretty decent. Yeah. Okay. There we go. There we go. Okay. Yeah. I'm just going to bring mine down a little bit. If it's too loud, then I get... It doesn't sound as great. Mm, fair. All right. So I'm 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 gonna put it up on mine. Okay. But I'm not gonna introduce it as what it is. Uh, the five elements letting go or anything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It'll just be me interviewing you. Okay. And then um, the video, I'll just throw up like a little NDP thing at the beginning with your name and the picture, and then have the video. And we'll try to keep it in. Half an hour. Yeah, that sounds good. Okay, because I think, I think if it's too long, then yeah. people check out won't listen yeah. to the whole thing. Yeah, I agree. Okay, we'll just have to make sure we get it uh, checked. Yeah, and I can cut and paste and mm-hmm. pull stuff out if we need to, but okay. I'll try to keep it as seamless as possible, and then that always looks better. Yeah, I agree. Okay. Well, welcome everyone. I'm Dr. Jared McCollum, and today I'm here with Me. Ms. <laughs> Michelle Traxel, our NDP candidate. Yay. Hello, everyone. For the Foothills uh, Riding here in Canada, Alberta. And yeah, she has just been approved. Like with like an hour ago. Okay. Got all yeah. your signatures, everything in. Yeah. And now we officially have three candidates in yeah. our riding. Yes. Excellent. Yeah. Well, we're here today just to, I'm curious on your personal, um, you know, platform and plan for this election and why you're running. And as well to um, ask a few questions, the one that I have with just about every politician, and I'm sure I share this with many people here. There's a few things that irk me about politicians. And so there's some questions I'm going to ask so that if you're elected, we can always um, remind you of these things. I think that's really good. Yeah, hold me accountable. That's that's what needs to happen. Exactly. so first, um, this is all kind of last minute. It is. So why are you running as a candidate? So I think like a lot of Canadians, I was sitting and waiting and waiting and waiting for a candidate in my riding to uh, be appointed. Mm-hmm. You know, we currently have John Barlow. He's our returning incumbent. He's been doing this for quite a long time. We have a Maverick candidate who's a separatist and I don't align with with that ideology. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe we have a liberal that's been just recently appointed. I think there's still some stuff kind of going on with that candidate. And I was like, what about NDP? That's exactly where my ideology aligns. And there's no one in my riding. I remember past elections that we always kind of ended up with that last minute candidate, not necessarily mm-hmm. someone from here. Yeah. Someone usually parachuted in yeah. from the university or whatever. Yeah, exactly. Um, and there's been some good showings with those people i think they've been really good candidates unfortunately they're just not good foothills candidates Mm -hmm. and i just kept waiting and i just couldn't wait anymore uh (laughs) people kept sending the information about the ndp looking for someone for the foothills and it just became one of those moments of okay i'll do it i'll i'll make this happen and so i put my name in 
Friday evening. And so it's just been this whirlwind of trying to get my signatures and get my vetting done um, and get everything kind of together. And here we are now Tuesday night and it's confirmed and I'm on the ballot. And <laughs> yeah, it's been it's been pretty wild. So And it's super cool. Um, you know, I again, you know, and those listening, I've been through this too. Mm-hmm. I ran back in 2008. Yes, 2008, um, uh, federally for the Green Party. And it was a very interesting experience. It's hard work. It's Mm -hmm. a little stressful. It takes a lot of time, but it's a really interesting experience. And again, uh, I did it for similar reasons. I felt we needed a different, an option. Yeah. And I think too, again, probably a lot of those listening to this right now are thinking, you know, um, whether you've always voted conservative or you voted for other parties, uh, I think all of us are starting to look for a little more change. Mm-hmm. And we're tired of politicians. We're tired of people not acting and actually getting stuff done. And, you know, we're tired of people that just don't represent us and represent a party. Mm-hmm. So there's a, a few questions I want to ask you. Definitely. And we'll go through this really quick, these ones, and then we'll start talking about like party platform and For stuff. Sure. Yeah. Because I think these are things that people are important. So question number one, and these ones, you don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but if you were elected, mm-hmm. will you tow the NDP party line? I think my goal as a politician is to remember the service piece of public service. My job, if I get this role, is to serve my public, which would be the Foothills MD, in the best possible way that I can. Uh, NDP is the platform and the voice, and I definitely share a lot of ideology, but if it's not in the best service of my constituents, it's not what I'm going to advocate for. Uh, I think it's very important to remember that your entire job is to represent the people who appointed you. And I think that's been a little, a little amiss lately. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't, I, I foresee myself uh, obviously having moments where my writing and the ideology of the party might not line up, mm-hmm. but I want to work effectively to find a solution and find forward momentum instead of just ignoring my community to follow the politics. Yeah. And I hope too, like one thing, you know, John's done this several times where he's just voted mm-hmm. without really considering how our writing would respond to something like that yeah. and just does it because that's what the party's telling him. But I would hope any politician, if they were going to vote against their writing to at least explain to us, mm-hmm. all right, I know you guys think this is the best idea, but this is why yes. I feel I have to do this. Yeah, I agree. And, and I understand you're going to be angry at me and I'm going to upset some people, but I do believe long-term this is the right thing yeah. to do because it helps everyone or it's for some reason. But we don't get that. Mm-hmm. We don't get that honest communication and, um, you know, uh, Keep it, you know, holding themselves accountable to going against maybe what, you know. And again, it's hard to determine the majority mm-hmm. <laughs> in a writing that's as big as ours. Yeah. But, you know, if uh, you're getting a lot of flack, to actually be really honest and not just, you know, yeah, I think that's do what you're that's, told. That's something that's incredibly important to me. I think that's that's the biggest thing for me is if you're going against your writing, explain to us why, explain to us what the circumstances are, and be transparent. 
And the lack of transparency in voting was a huge part of why I threw my name in. Mm-hmm. Um, I felt that there was a lot of a lot of recent votes uh, passed by John Barlow that didn't align with our community. And we saw a lot of pushback and we saw a lot of questioning. Uh, and we never really got clear and direct answers on those topics. And it became a lot of rhetoric and a lot of fluff and a lot of lower lower minority pandering Mm -hmm. uh and i was really disappointed in that and i i won't be that person that's not who i am at all (laughs) awesome okay the other thing i wanted to ask and then i i'm sure everyone else here has a very similar feelings about this when i watch the news and a politician is asked a question Mm -hmm. they never directly answer the question circle talk yeah and jag meat even does this sometimes Mm -hmm. and i get you're a leader what I want to see is, you know, and again, you know, it's just answer the fucking question. I'm sorry. <laughs> and then explain around why. Okay. Mm-hmm. You know, why you, you yeah. feel that way. But, you know, and I think that's what turns us off from politicians because yeah. we watch that and they'll ask the question three times. Yeah. And never actually. And they an never answer. ask to answer the question. Yeah. What's your view on that? I think the most important thing is to uh, answer the question. Uh, I understand if there is a moment where I don't know the answer, I want to be able to say, I don't, I don't know, but I'm going to find the answer for you and I'm going to find the solution. But I feel like most questions that are being posed of a well-prepared candidate can answer a well-prepared candidate has enough facts around that specific topic that they can start to formulate a sentence and start to formulate an answer and if there are pieces of that that they don't know and they don't feel comfortable with they can say i know this i know this i know this this is the direction that we're going the ending piece is slightly out of focus at Mm -hmm. at this point but once we go down this part of the journey we will get this answer and i i think that that got lost uh, specifically with the liberals and the conservatives, the circle talk is just so loud and the rhetoric is so loud that they spend so much time kind of yelling at each other. They Mm -hmm. just forgot to answer the questions and without answering the questions, they're not actually doing anything to benefit any of these communities. We're not finding solutions because we're just slinging mud. Yeah. And I'm, I'm over it. Yeah. We see that a lot when, because recently CBC, they'll bring on candidates from each three main parties Mm -hmm. and they'll ask them a question and they, they don't answer and they spend the time blaming the other party and Correct. saying the terrible thing they did yeah. again Correct. rather than just answering the question. And I think in particular Albertans, mm-hmm. um, the reason why we like brash and honest politicians, like people always have like um, really, uh, <laughs> really fair and like... Um, positive memories of ralph Klein. totally I was they, thinking they forget so. all the negative things yeah. he did yeah because he was a straight shooter yeah and that's, and what, that's they, what he was known yeah for. E- even though he was a jerk and the same reason why some people like trump mm-hmm. and we have few politicians from the other side that will just be honest mm-hmm. and say their thing even though it may arc some people totally. or they might disagree with it yeah. and i do think that refreshing realness and honesty, we're craving it as a country. I completely agree. Yeah. And it's a huge part of why, you know, I really respect Jagmeet Singh and it's why I felt comfortable with the NDP because 
he answers a lot of uncomfortable questions and mm-hmm. he's willing to kind of stick his neck out for all of us versus some of us. Yeah. And I was really tired of being represented by all of these candidates who only represent some of us mm-hmm. and a lot of big business yeah. and don't have a plan forward and just get lost in the rhetoric. They're yeah. not bothering to remember the service piece of public service. They're not, they don't care about Canadians. They they care about longevity within parliament and mm. they've lost sight of what actually matters. And they're just completely disregarding answering the question. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. All right. Um, okay. One other thing is, and I think this is a pattern in politics that, again, irritates people, is when someone in opposition or from the other side automatically will always argue against any other ideas of mm-hmm. another party, mm-hmm. even though there may be some good ideas in it. Rarely yes. we hear leaders saying, hey, I like that idea. Mm-hmm. These part of it I don't like, um, but I'm willing to support that. Mm-hmm. Let's meet. And Let's there's meet in there's the less of, less of yeah. that, less open discussion and honesty about that. Yeah. And one of the worst terms in politics is opposition. Mm-hmm. Because that just automatically decides that this party can no longer support anything. Yeah. Because their role is to be the opposition for the queen yep. rather than, yeah. <laughs> you know, a politician that's whose job is to find consensus and improve the lives Correct. of all Canadians. Correct. So will you support good ideas and, you know, talk about them and work with other parties? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I do that every day within my community. <laughs> yeah. I work with a super diverse group of people from all ideologies uh, and have my entire working career. Uh, I've, I've been within the food sector. I've been within the service sector. You know, I own my own restaurant. Not one single person who walks through the door is exactly like another person. Uh, and I love being able to have that connection to all these different people and put that tapestry together and make something beautiful out of it. The only way that we will get out of our current situation is by working with each other and striving to move forward and striving to do what's best for as many of us as we possibly can. We are going to have conflict. We are going to have difference of opinion, but you're right. When the conversation completely stops, just because we're from different parties, we're not solving a problem. We're not improving anything. We're not moving forward. We're just stifling it. And it just kind of kicks that that idea around until it just goes away. Yeah. And then nothing has been solved. We mm-hmm. have done nothing to improve the situation. And I, I'm not about that. I'm over it. <laughs> I'm. It's a huge part of why I've, I've finally decided to jump into politics because I'm, I'm that person who's like, you know, we got a 500 seat uh, catering tonight. We got six servers who are missing. What are we going to do? How are we going to solve this problem? Because this needs to be figured out because we have people seated at six. Mm-hmm. Let's go, guys. Yeah. And I want to take that same approach to actually working with opposition. And again, that term, but working with different uh, parliament representatives and moving forward. Mm-hmm. So Cool. Thank you. Now, the last on my little list here is, oh, yes. Um, will you admit when you make mistakes? Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, I think that's, I think that's a huge part of being just human beings. And we can't, we can't improve unless we own our mistakes. And the double down 
mm-hmm. of previous mistakes that I've seen in various parliament leaders from across Canada that that aggressive double down instead of just admitting where our shortcomings lay, uh, admitting faults and striving to do better. We really lost that piece of humanity and humbleness mm-hmm. and it got lost in the rhetoric of big politics yeah. and it's really sad and unfortunate and I just don't lean into that. Well, and you know, we, as I don't think we've ever had a government that hasn't been liberal or conservative. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, you know, there may have been par- older parties, yeah. but as long as I can remember in my life, it's been one of the two. Mm-hmm. And they both follow the pattern of blaming the other or gaslighting us when they totally. make mistakes. Totally. And, you know, again, I gave uh, Trudeau the benefit of the doubt. I, you know, uh, I do think he did some things better than Harper, but I think we can do even better. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, I and I'm, uh, you know, I want a politician that, can say, hey, yeah, I'm Justin Trudeau, and I have no clue about <laughs> optics and, you know, real-world life because I grew up a little privileged and I don't realize the things I'm doing are wrong. <laughs> and he just Fair keeps assessment. gaslighting us yeah. on it. And, you know, we need politicians to stand up and say, gee, yeah, going on that vacation or handing, you know, that contract over, it looks, you know, not only does it look bad, it was wrong. Mm-hmm. I screwed up yeah. and I'm going to... Well, I think, I think the, uh, I think there's, there's been a real, uh, realization. So for example, you know, I skipped a lot of steps on my political ambitions. (laughs) Uh, a lot of people within the community asked us to get involved with town politics and I felt awkward about it. I own a business here in town. I've done very large caterings for the town. I've done large events in, you know, connection with the town and it felt weird to have a business that ingrained in that connection and then also be on town council. And I think there's a lot of politicians in higher levels of government who don't realize that their role in government needs to stay that. Yeah. And there's a lot of conflict of interest and there's a lot of uh, short-sightedness. I think it's time for people who come from humble backgrounds who work with people of all different wealth brackets, who have lived in different wealth brackets, can stand up and advocate for the majority. Because Mm -hmm. right now we do have a lot of very wealthy people or career politicians who don't know what it's like to have to go to the food bank, to have to pick between back-to-school clothes or food, uh, who really have had... A unique circumstance in life uh, or or just average we are not being represented represented uh, fairly we we have people who are not within the same stratosphere as the rest of us making decisions that directly impact all of us Mm -hmm. and I think it's just time that somebody who can say no I can't live off $500 a month stands up and points that out and yeah. we start to normalize that conversation around income, around pay, around equality, around all of these topics that impact you and I. They determine if we can pay our cell phone bill, if we can buy a house, if we can do all of these things. And unless you've lived through that, I don't think you can fairly represent it because you don't grasp it. You don't understand the reality that a majority of Canadians are facing every single day. 
And I think that is, um, you know, it's definitely one of the top three things on the minds of people here in Foothills mm-hmm. is, you know, especially after the pandemic, exactly. we've all been beaten yeah. <laughs> down by this virus yeah. and shut, you know, not that we had a any, we only had one real lockdown and it mm-hmm. wasn't quite a full lockdown, but we've had a lot of restrictions and changes mm-hmm. and it's made it difficult on businesses, the on yo- people. The yo-yo yeah. effect has been harder in a lot of ways than, than just a than complete, complete lockdown. Yeah. Uh, and you, I talk with small businesses constantly. I, I talk with independent farms. I've heard their struggles. I know what they're going through. I relate to them. I I know how hard it is when you have to call the bank and say, I can't make my mortgage payment because I lost $150,000 last year, $60,000, $10,000. The money, the number doesn't necessarily matter it's the fact that you lost. It's the fact that you're suffering. It's the fact that you continue to have hardships and burdens that are unfair and completely out of your control. And there's not a lot of people listening and doing things to fix it. Mm-hmm. So, I think, you know, along with that, it's, it's that, you know, affordable living mm-hmm. in Canada is definitely one of the top three concerns. I think whether you've, you know, Done quite well here in Alberta with the oil booms. Mm-hmm. Um, but things haven't been great for a long time here. Mm-hmm. Quite a number of years with oil dropping and now the pandemic. And now, you know, the investment from the federal government uh, was was limited. Thankfully, the NDP pushed things up totally. to get, you yeah. know, CERB a little higher and to get um, uh, unemployment higher, to get uh, the loans to businesses better, all of that. But, you know, then they hand over all this money to corporations that they just turned into, mm-hmm. um, you know, their own buying back stock or uh, benefits mm-hmm. to CEOs. I, I hope every Albertan is, you know, and Canadian is kind of feeling this way. We're tired of, you know, socialism for the rich and, and- for corporations. And yeah. we're ready you know, you know, we're struggling with yeah. uh, cutthroat capitalism and we're not, not getting equal, the same supports. It's not an equal playing field. And I've been saying that for a really, really long time. Uh, you know, I, I know people who should have really easily qualified for help from the government who didn't. I'm one of them. Uh, I didn't lose enough money to qualify for any of the loans. Uh, and it's it's been super hard because of that. And isn't that ironic? I didn't lose enough so therefore, I can't access this what was supposed to be federally backed affordable financing. Instead, I'm being offered loans that are at 22% yeah. interest and amortized at five years. There's no physical way that I, as a small business, can actually hold that, mm-hmm. can carry that debt. And that's across the board. That yeah. isn't special to me. That is a ton of money got given to big banks so that the the day-to-day kind of operations of dealing with that money got pushed onto somebody else. We didn't even keep it within the Bank of Canada. We gave it to the big five and we said, you know, do your well, thing. And that's the thing now, you know, uh, Scotia Bank and the Bank of Montreal came out today and they've both, they doubled their profits Yeah. this year. Yeah. And how did they double their profits? Because the government decided, oh, rather than us, Loaning this money to Canadians exactly. who gave us this money, we're going to exactly. loan you back our money, and we're the the 
the interest we make off of that it's astronomical will come back to us yep. to you yep. and we're just recycling the money with canadians no we've decided to give those loans through these private banks so they make profit off everyone's misery yep it is bonkers and it's not working and it's yeah. not how you rebuild a struggling economy you know i i do truly believe that if we hadn't invested in serb if we didn't get money to small businesses we would have seen a much worse economic yeah. outcome from the situation. Uh, but I do think we can do better. And I think right now is when we're starting to see where the shortcomings are. And right now is the time to fix it. And I think we need to have some tough conversations and really look at what we've done for the last 30 years because this pandemic really exasperated a ton of problems that were already sitting there. There was... There's a lot of people that I've talked to in higher levels of government who didn't even know what a merchant service loan was. They didn't know about small businesses not qualifying for loans. They were under the impression that if you walked into a bank with a business plan, you get all of your financing. You don't. That's just the way it is. You will find that one bank will give you $40,000. Another bank will give you $20,000. Maybe somebody else will give you $60,000. And then they'll give you really high interest credit cards. Well, your business needed $350,000 to get up and running. So you're bootstrapping the whole project with these hodgepodge of loans that all have different terms, that all have different interests, that all have different payment structures, plus all these high interest credit cards. And then you get up and running and you don't have any working cash flow. We've set it up so small business and innovation in Canada is based on if you're already wealthy, if you already have access to high, high volumes of cash, and it's just not working. Well, at and then, all. yeah, like these big, large corporations, whether it's WestJet, Air Canada, mm -hmm. um, you know, the um, what's the one in Montreal that builds the planes? Mm -hmm. You know, every time these large companies, uh, car makers, so on, banks, when they're failing because of their mistakes, and Correct. their weaknesses and their bad planning, then they turn to the government and say, help. oh, help us or people are going to lose jobs. Mm -hmm. Well, rather than the government saying, oh, that's fine. We're going to take care of these people. Mm -hmm. We're going to retrain them yep. and give them funding and supports if yep. you fail them. Yep. No, they give the money to the corporations. They turn around, take that money, give it to benefits, give it to their CEOs, give it to their shareholders. Yeah. And then, and then the they business. cut all those jobs anyway. Yeah, and they move the businesses out of Canada. And this this cycle was something that we saw pre-pandemic. I think it's just something that's becoming more prevalent. And we've all, we've all seen it. We've all been living it. Uh, and I think we're all really tired of it. We're seeing a loss of innovation. We're seeing a loss of quality jobs. We're seeing people who should be living very easy lives of a happy middle-class Canadian at the food bank. You know, these are people who used to raise money for the food bank. And mm. now, because of a series of events completely outside of their control, they're the ones who need to go to the food bank. Yeah. And there's been a real humbling moment for a lot of us and i think right now is the time to rebuild from the bottom up to make sure that all of us are doing well and not just this elite kind of crop on the top i think it's it's really become beyond prevalent to remember mm. that there is no economy unless we have people and people do have power in this situation and 
now's the time. Now's yeah. the time to make effective change that will improve everybody's lives. Well, and it doesn't matter if you're on the right or the left. Totally. We're all suffering mm-hmm. and we're all getting screwed. Yep. And it's about time we decide that, okay, for the last hundred years, we've let these two pe- these two parties try to figure it out mm-hmm. and they've just been making it worse and worse and worse. And they're not representing us. Mm-hmm. They're representing the money and they're giving our money away to failing corporations yep. and not taxing those yep. that are making all the profit. Um, you know, and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are thinking, well, yeah, sure. I love the ideas of the NDP, you know, dental care, totally. uh, pharmacare. So drugs covered, it's part of healthcare. They want a universal basic income. They want uh, more affordable housing and yeah. to actually make some change so people can actually afford houses. These are all amazing things that I'm sure doesn't matter. If you're on the left or the right that deep down you support because you want those things for yourself, mm-hmm. but how are we going to pay for it? Tax the rich. <laughs> that's that's the solution. Uh, I so who's, who's the rich? Because I'm sure there's some guy sitting there thinking, oh, I'm rich. 100%. I don't want to pay more taxes. Uh, we're talking about a very elite uh, cream of the crop of Canadian earners who are well past whatever we will earn. We're mm-hmm. talking talking millions of dollars annually. This isn't somebody who makes 130 grand on the rigs. This is well and above past that. Yeah. Uh, and I, they have been getting away with essentially tax fraud for decades Mm -hmm. and these big companies have been moving money illegally uh and it's time for them to pay it back well do you remember the panama papers a hundred percent this was only a number of years ago and it was in the news for about 30 seconds and then everyone stopped talking about it and there's canadians involved yes and these again like when we're when you say you want to tax like I, i i i don't know anyone in our writing that makes over you know, who, who is worth over a hundred million dollars. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and if they are, I, I think they should be taxed a little bit yep. because again, I think for a while there, we used to believe this idea that the rich got rich by working hard mm-hmm. and taking on great risk and everything like that. Mm-hmm. You know, I have a close friend yeah, we've that's talked worth about this. a lot of money, Yeah, but he also understands that Yes, he had to take the risk to start. Yep. But who makes the money now? Yeah. It's not him. Yeah. It's his hundreds of employees. Exactly. And that's why he takes care of them so much. Exactly. But we need to realize this. So when we're talking about taxing the rich and making corporations actually pay taxes rather than getting away with it, yep. but not paying them, that that's our money. Yeah. Yeah, we gave them that money. We're entitled to that money and it's time for it to come back. And I think previously we've seen a lot of political leaders who have been getting a lot from those large corporations. Uh, And I think it's time to really clean up politics and and take that out of it. Uh, When you when you get elected to serve the people, you're not elected to serve the large corporation in your riding. You are elected to serve the people who work at that large corporation in your riding. Mm-hmm. And that's been forgotten. Yeah. And it's time that we change that. There are absolutely incredible people within the community of Foothills who are salt of the earth, hardworking, absolutely exceptional human beings. Uh, who've been forgotten, completely forgotten. We even lost a good amount of them to COVID because we we just let it happen. Mm-hmm. 
And we're over it. We're all collectively over it. And it's time for accountability and it's time for forward momentum. And it's time to be the Canada we want to be. Yeah. And there's there's a lot of money that needs to come back to to Canadians. Mm-hmm. It's not the corporation's money. It's something that's been given to them without restriction, without limitation, without covenants of any kind and accountability. And it's just flowed. Mm-hmm. And we got to stop it. Yeah. Enough is enough. Yeah. There's, and again, you know, the people I'm concerned about most is those people that are working two minimum wage jobs totally. and still the can't working poor. Yeah, can't make ends And yet. housing in here in Oaktokes. It's astronomical. It's so expensive. There's no affordable housing. There's mm-hmm. no cheap rents. It's even, and, it's, it's predominant across the foothills. You know, it used to be that if you re- moved into a rural community, you could afford a very affordable house. Mm-hmm. You might have to commute, but at least you would have a little bit of land. And now we're looking at a million dollars for a five acre plot with a house on it. Well, and, and it's no yeah, longer affordable. Yeah, rents in Okotoks are higher than Calgary now. Yep. Houses in Okotoks are higher when yep. they used to be 10 or 15% cheaper. Yep. Commercial and, uh, leases are astronomical. They're yes. Completely off the charts. Yeah. Uh, and it's just not working. I really, truly feel like this is not a specific to Foothills problem. I feel like if we reached out to other smaller communities that are in really similar geographic states that we are. So, you know, those places just outside of Edmonton and kind of circling like up in Smoky Lake and all of that kind of stuff. I bet we would see the same inflation. I bet mm-hmm. we would start to see the same series of problems. And wouldn't it be great if we all worked together to find a solution to all of these problems. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we're not. We're yeah. not doing any of that. We're bickering over some ridiculous Facebook inst- uh, Facebook conspiracy. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I'm tired of it. I'm tired of political leaders using cannon fodder instead of actually saying, what is going on? Mm-hmm. Something is, is happening to these communities. They're being taken advantage of. What is happening? Let's get to the bottom of this. Yeah. And one last thing, because we want to keep this short, <laughs> is um, we've noticed, so in our riding in particular this summer, we've had drought. Mm-hmm. The farmers have not, not done okay. very well. It's burning their crops in the field. It's been yeah. so hot and so dry. We're finally getting some rain, so there might be some respite for some of the crops. A lot of the crops, though, are too far into their germination yeah. and we're not going to see the growth that we need for them to actually be market ready. Then yeah. we've got all the smoke yep. that's been coming through. Yep. Um, you know, so much of British Columbia is on fire. Um, in a, we're in an area where uh, we're just going to see more and more extreme weather mm-hmm. and more difficulties uh, across the country. We're seeing it everywhere now. Yep. Um, whether you believe as an Albertan, uh, that climate change is caused by humans or not. Mm-hmm. That's not the discussion anymore. Mm-hmm. I think it, well, either of those, it doesn't matter. The question is, we're in trouble mm-hmm. and we need to act. Yep. Uh, whether you think it's just a natural occurrence, I'm totally fine with you believing that. But how? what are we going to do to stop crisis. this? Yep. And because 
if if it's just a natural shift shift in weather, how long is this going to last? Mm-hmm. What it, what's going to be the outcome? Either way, whether we, it's been caused by humans or not, we need to act and we need to prepare ourselves. We need to find ways to protect our water rather than selling it to Nestle for nothing. We need to find a way to uh, protect protect ourselves from the forest fires and the floods that are going to be coming and all of these things. What do you think, you know, as a government, we need to do about climate change? Well, I think first and foremost, we need to address it. And we need to stop bickering back and forth on whether it is real or not real or the nuances within that and address the fact that Canada is a, is in a climate crisis flat out. And like you said, it really doesn't matter if you believe it's human, if you believe it's not human. Uh, I personally believe that, that we are a causality of it. I think there are a few corporations who are perpetuating it. Uh, much faster what than is it? your average. Is, is it is it ten? Yeah, ten corporations on this planet that yep. are causing how? What is the percentage? I think it's about 70 percent. Yeah. of of all, all the carbon of is of is from ten yep. companies. And I think we don't have time to bicker about the minutia of this any longer. We have farms that are going to go bankrupt after servicing our community for a hundred years. Because this isn't the first year that they've struggled. Mm-hmm. They've been struggling for the last seven years. There hasn't been great turnouts in any industries that I personally know. And they've all experienced challenges. That being said, we also have some absolutely exceptional innovators within the agricultural uh, community, specifically in the foothills. We're seeing super advanced uh, hydroponic, aquaponic, uh, greenhouse setups that are ridiculously affordable. They're so unbelievably simplistic. They're not reliant on a secondary energy source. So they don't need a ton of grow lights where, because it's just a greenhouse and we live in the sunniest place imaginable. So they figured out a way to kind of work our weather against itself and really effectively grow year round. We've seen super well-structured direct-to-soil greenhouses that are growing the most beautiful tomatoes you've ever seen 11 months out of the year. They're having to vent their greenhouse in January, meaning the the greenhouse is yeah, getting so, so warm oh, that wow. they have to exit some heat. Yeah. We, we have that. We have that skill set. We have absolutely incredible communities who are working together, who are forming collectives so they can sell to restaurants. Mm-hmm. They're really struggling to get into grocery stores because of the red tape and the litigation around all of that. But COVID really did help us because a lot of that got eliminated and a lot of big companies said, here's all the labeling data that you need get to market. We see this massive shortage. How can we help? So private sector is is ready. Private sector wants to see Canadian farms and Canadian products in grocery. They're ready to do this for us. We just have to figure out a way to cushion it. Yeah. And, and just like we talk about how we want to transition mm-hmm. uh, oil workers to renewable yep. energy jobs yep. and to pay for them to be trained yep. and pay for them to be, you know, transition through that. Yep. We need to see that for farmers. We do. We're going to transform your farms yep. to modern approaches and 
no longer make farmers, you know, slaves to the seed companies or to the fertilizer exactly. companies or to the. I'm so tired. <laughs> I'm so unbelievably tired of the middleman within our cattle industry, within all of our agricultural products, who are buying something from a farmer for twenty five cents, putting it in a bag, charging a distributor four fifty for it. The distributor is putting it in the grocery store for five dollars. Yeah. So nobody's actually the grocer isn't making any money. The farmer isn't making any money, and that middle guy who figured out how to just clunk the system along yeah. is making all of the money. Yeah. There is a lot of opportunity. Yeah. We also have seen huge growth um, within our film. Uh, filming industry, specifically in the foothills. There's been some absolutely insane uh, uh, filming happening out in High River, kind of all around Kananaskis, various different places in the foothills. And that's an $800 million injection into the provincial economy that could potentially be a billion dollars. And, you know, if we can't use this land for growing, maybe we can use this land for filming. Maybe this is a way that we can help these farmers shoulder this time of uncertainty Mm -hmm. and we can we can make a plan. Yeah. Or pay the farmers to turn their farms into carbon sinks with prairie grasses. Maybe. And pay them to do that. I think that there is a lot of opportunity that really needs to be evaluated. And I again, I think we just have to have some tough conversations and we need to stop playing playing bureaucracy we need to we need to find a solution because at the end of the day you know farmer greg isn't able to pay his mortgage and his taxes are behind and he can't afford any uh labor or uh anything any seed any fertilizer any nothing to get next year's crop in the ground he can't even deal with this year's crop because if he lights it all on fire, it's going to go out of control. He's super stressed out. And then a bank's calling him saying, you're behind on your mortgage. And if you don't make payments, we're going to foreclose yeah. on your property. Well, and, and I think any conservative would agree to say that we need less red tape. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. And, you know, that's, Jagmeet Singh said that several times. There's yeah. a lot of things that we're doing in our country that are making profit for middlemen and mm-hmm. corporations and other people with a little bit of power rather than, changing the laws and changing the red tape so the people that are actually doing the work get paid yep. and get rewarded for that hard work. And there is there is something to be said about, you know, when we buy Alberta products, when we support Alberta initiatives, that money does stay in our community. So if, if I'm buying a pepper from an Alberta farmer and I'm spending that money, you know, 99 cents of it is going back into this local economy and we start to see movement forward and we start to see recovery. When we start to have these middle corporations that are pulling 80 cents of that dollar out of the community before I've even purchased it, that's not solution. That's that's really bad business and that's why we're seeing kind of this widespread ghost community happening where people really can't afford the old way of life they can't support their family with a farm they can't support their family with agriculture or small business or even medium business nothing is working we're all seeing the same uh, series of problems and we need solutions we all collectively need solutions less rhetoric more solutions people over profits yeah okay and i I know i said that was the last thing but one more (laughs) thing i want to say okay that i'm going to ask you about I heard this uh, the other day on the internet and I was this fellow explaining the story and he's like, okay, let's say my great grandfather punched your great grandfather in the face. Okay. Then the next generation, my grandfather punches your grandfather in the face. 
then the next generation, my dad punches your dad in the face. Okay. How are you going to feel around me? Not great. <laughs> you know, do you think I owe it to you to at least say, I'm not going to punch you in the face. I know my ancestors have punched you in the face every generation, but I, I just want you to know that I'm not going to punch you in the face. And, you know, I, I feel that I, we can do some things to make up for that. Yes. And <laughs> yes. I felt that was a good explanation on how we need to, you know, approach whether it's, uh, you know, the, the history we've done in this country, whether it was with the Japanese or with uh, black people or the First Nations or whatever. Time and time again, you know, everyone say, well, I, that wasn't me. I didn't do that. Well, yes, but you, okay, you, maybe you haven't done anything racist, but our history is full of it, mm-hmm. and we need to make up for it, and we need to show these people that we care, and we're no longer going to hurt them, and we actually have to, I don't know, provide them with water, yes. health care, yes. uh, autonomy over their land, mm-hmm. and their rights that we promised to them over 100 years ago. How do you, what do Where you do feel we, we need to do? How do we start? What kind of action do you want to see to, you know, some justice for First Nations and for people of color. So I think first and foremost, it it even ties to the, the climate discussion we just had is accountability, is admitting that there's a problem, admitting that there's a history and, and taking ownership of that history instead of constantly pushing it aside and minimizing it. Uh, so I'll speak specifically to uh, the Indigenous community. Mm-hmm. I think... I have a very long history with the Indigenous community. I did a lot of outreach in Vancouver when I lived on the Lower East Side. Uh, I worked right on Maine and Hastings. I I saw a lot. I saw a lot of what that continuous punch in the face becomes. Uh, And we have a lot to make up for. And we are sitting in this moment in time where we are uncovering bodies of children. And we we need to take ownership of that. I don't have a perfect solution for it, but I want to sit down and I want to listen and I want to find the right answers to move forward that are respectful to the Indigenous community that aren't just a a Band-Aid solution, aren't just a couple million dollars and a oopsie-daisy. I think we really do need effective accountability and like you said, water and human rights and land autonomy and things that we're already supposed to have happened long before you and I existed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good place to start. And I think that that is applicable to a lot of different social groups within our, within our country, even, even the queer community. It's something that we've made mistakes in the past. It's time to take accountability for those mistakes, to listen to those communities and see how we can best service those communities. Yeah. It's interesting. I, there was an interview with uh, Jagmeet Singh and a reporter asked him, okay, so you want to fix the water for the natives. How are you going to pay for it? Mm-hmm. And he's like, why are you asking me that question? Yeah, yeah. If it were a white community in Ontario yep. or PEI or British Columbia, would you be asking me where I'm going to get the money from? Yeah. You would not ask these questions. Yep. It would be, uh, yeah, we're going to help that community. Yeah. Oh, there was flooding. In, uh, in Calgary, yeah, we're going to get them the money. We're going to get it done and get, we we're going to get it fixed. But when it comes to the North and First Nation communities, it's this, oh, well, 
out of sight, out of mind. Do we really want to pay for that? And it's really interesting you brought up Northern Canada as well, because during the pandemic, you know, I own a restaurant. I'm super involved with the movement of food across Canada. It's something that interests me. And I was able to sit in on a Zoom discussion with the owner of Cisco. And in during the course of the pandemic, the Canadian government wasn't sending food to Northern communities. They were not getting the supplies that they need. Uh, they were one of the last on the lines. And Cisco, within the course of 48 hours, found a way to get food to those communities. And how they did it was by talking to those communities and finding a solution to meet in the middle. And they were able to regularly provide food. They were able to decrease the cost of the food that went to those communities. Which is super expensive, usually. Insanely expensive. And all it took was a conversation. And it was so amazing to me that this problem that has just been passed down from from all of us i remember being told in school it's just that way that's just the way it is it's we can't get food up there it's super inconvenient and this solution came to pass in 48 hours because of a conversation and it's really quite amazing what happens when you sit down and you actually talk to the community that's being impacted Mm -hmm. and say what is it that you need You know, we live in a landlocked province, and yet most of us have access to water. We live in a rural community where most of the houses around us aren't connected to town water. They have aquifers. They have access to a well on their own land. You cannot tell me that this this problem of clean, accessible drinking water is as complex as we're being made out to believe that it actually is. Yeah. There has to be water. <laughs> there has to be. Yeah. It is of course a there solvable is. problem. And they have some of the, they, you know, yeah. it's some of the cleanest, pristine areas in Canada, but exactly. we just won't take the time and money and work with them to solve the problem. Yeah. Because, you know. and We and, need some cisterns. Uh, we need a good well dig. Yeah. We need some purification. And yeah. this is a solvable problem. Yeah. And all it's going to take is a conversation and just listen and no more photo ops no more bs Mm -hmm. let's actually get crews on the ground let's let's do it and that's something i'm you know excited i know jagmeet seems says that you know as soon as he's elected it's like day one yeah we're gonna get up there and get it done yeah and and you know, up there is a really relative term because this is a broad problem yeah. across Canada. This yeah. isn't like, oh, we have one or two. This is a hundred plus that we need to address immediately. Um, anything else you'd like to add? Hmm. I think, you know, I think for me, the NDP, all of their platform makes sense, whether it's climate, whether it's economy, whether it's everything. But the thing that finally pushed me over the edge was something as simplistic as Uh, capping cell phones and making sure that we have internet access and making sure that we can afford it and you know i'm i'm the person who pays our bills in our in our house and i was thinking to myself you know my husband and i we share a cell phone plan we pay 200 plus dollars a month uh sometimes we go over data because we do use our phones for work Mm -hmm. and then all of a sudden it's a 300 dollar bill you know if we are able to cap cell phones and I'm able to save $150 a month, all of that money that I'm saving, I will use within my community. Mm-hmm. I might put some of it in the bank, so I'm not afraid of the check engine light on my vehicle turning on, yeah. but most of that money is going to go to 
local farms, local grocery stores, local boutiques, local restaurants. And that, that really tiny little shift that should have happened a decade ago Mm -hmm. is going to pour money back into our economy so much faster than some coupon. And, and that's where I, that's where I landed. And that's why we need a complete shift. Yeah. We don't need conservatives running things. We don't need liberals running things. We need a totally new party that it doesn't have any, you know, uh, no big business or corporation or, you know, um, has their claws in them so that they're like, well, I really want to do this, but I don't want to upset them. And okay, how can we do this slowly? Or how can I do it just apart? Or how can I distract everyone until they forget about it? And we can just move on to mm-hmm. something else. We need someone who's not afraid to piss off a lot of people with money yeah, and to start giving that money back to Canadians. Yep. And uh, I think Jagmeet's the guy to do it. Yeah. And I really hope as Canadians that we can get past you know, making two bad choices continually. Mm -hmm. And I do think this is finally, and and I do think there's a lot of Canadians that want to vote NDP. Mm -hmm. Um, That, you know, there's those on the right that don't realize that they share a lot of the same things the NDP did. And if they did vote compass on the CBC website, they'd realize they're actually (laughs) very left and not right. And then there's a bunch of the liberals or the greens that, you know, support these parties, uh, you know, we're especially support the liberals thinking that, oh, well, this is going, I got to vote liberal to vote strategically so the conservatives mm-hmm. don't get in. Mm-hmm. This is not that election no. to vote no. strategically. You know, it's been really interesting as well because I was trying to collect signatures for my ticket, et cetera, et cetera. I was getting contacted by family members saying, can you please go visit my mother-in-law? Can you please go visit my father-in-law? These people were in their 80s and they wanted specifically to sign my ticket and to tell me that for the first time in 60 years, they're voting NDP. Wow. And it's because the NDP actually cares about seniors' rights. They care about the for-profit structure that we have allowed to just absolutely infiltrate our senior care. They're so fed up and they're so sick of watching this repetitive cycle over and over again and they want change. They want change. Mm-hmm. This isn't a millennial thing. This isn't a, you know, Gen Z thing. This isn't this isn't generational. This is Canadians are mad and they want accountability and they want change yeah. from all generations. Yeah. So all right. Thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. If you're interested in supporting um Michelle, uh one, I'm sure by the time we get this thing up, there may be some information on yes. where you can support yes. her, um, wherever this is gonna be shared throughout the campaign. And uh, maybe throw a little bit of money, whether that's $20, like seriously, $20 um, will make a big difference in this campaign. Um, The incumbent spent $60,000 last election or something like that. So we're, we don't need a lot, but some will help. And I know too, that, you know, uh, this is going to be a bit different campaign because you can't necessarily go door to door and all that incredibly short so we're gonna have to rely on others to actually 
talk to their friends and family and say, let's do something different. Yeah. Let's see what's going to happen because yeah. either way, I'm pretty sure we're probably in a minority government anyway, yeah. but it would sure be nice to have a hell of a lot more NDP people on there mm-hmm. to stand up for Canadians and actually push for some change. Push for some change. I'm yeah. tired of, t- I'm so tired of families being torn apart by this. Mm-hmm. I want effective change and I want forward momentum because, you know, we can, we can share a difference of opinion on a few topics, but the basics of human, human rights we generally all agree on. Yeah. And if you don't, we probably have a different series of conversation that we need to have. But we can all agree that everybody needs water. Everybody needs health care. I would love to see everybody be able to go to the dentist. And I want to lift everybody up. This isn't mm-hmm. pie. It's not limited slices yeah. for everybody. It's time for all of us to collectively yeah. get yes. lifted up. Yeah. So. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good luck. Thank you. And, uh, you know, whatever happens, I know your voice is going to make a difference. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Thanks for listening, everyone. Bye. Have an awesome day. <laughs>